Hi, I'm Tony Denbach, one of the pastors at Clearview Community Church. Last week, we began our series entitled, Who is Jesus? And talked about Jesus' audacious claim to be the I Am of the Old Testament. Now, if you missed it, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it on our website, as it provides the backdrop for the rest of the series. It helps us to understand why the I Am sayings of Jesus were such a big deal. Each of them is a claim to divinity. I think if we're honest, most people would have questions such as, how could a guy named Jesus who was born, lived, and died 2,000 years ago and thousands of miles away have anything to do with us today? It's a good question. And it's one of the ones that we're going to explore during our series. Now, one thing I've noticed about Christianity is that most people have an opinion about it. Now, often that opinion is based on stereotypes that they've seen in the media or misinformation which they've heard and read. But what is also true is that in our society today, there is a tremendous spiritual hunger. People are looking for answers to the big questions of life. And many have turned to the occult, to horoscopes, to palm readers or tarot cards or mysticism, trying to fill a void inside. What do we look for to try to satisfy the spiritual hunger? Now, I remember that no matter what else I tried, I kept on being drawn back to a relationship with the God of the Bible. It was like everything else left me wanting more. Now, I'm not the only one in that situation. I read about it all the time, about our rich and famous. It seems that those who have all of the success and riches that our society has to offer still find themselves with this same void. You could go on Netflix or YouTube and find movies and documentaries about many of the cultural elites and their amazingly sad stories. It's this gnawing hunger in our society that this message addresses today. Now, I spend a lot of my time answering the sincere questions of people who are trying to find spiritual fulfillment, and perhaps that's you today. I'll be speaking to you today from the Gospel of John, the sixth chapter. Now, in the beginning of this chapter, we find the account of the loaves and the fish. Jesus takes five loaves and two fish and feeds 5,000 men plus women and children. Not only that, but the biblical record tells us that there was more left over than what they started with. Now, obviously, this is what is called a miracle. These things don't just happen. It's a supernatural occurrence, and it caused quite a stir. So it's no wonder that Jesus' popularity began to grow. After all, everyone needs to eat, <laughs> and in a time when many lived hand-to-mouth, free food was a great way to get attention. In fact, the people were so pleased with Jesus and his ability to fill their bellies that they were going to seize him and make him king by force. It tells us that in John chapter 6 and verse 15. But Jesus hadn't come to be an earthly king. That was why he would tell his disciples not to arm themselves. He wasn't trying to overthrow Rome. Jesus had come for a greater purpose. So the feeding of the 5,000 wasn't an end in itself. It was a means to an end. Yes, the people were hungry and needed to eat, but we have no indication they were going to starve to death before they got home. No, it seems that Jesus was here teaching his disciples something. He was teaching them to trust him. He was also teaching them that it was about more than bread. He was also wanting to teach the crowd, both then and now, about what is really important in life. Now, in verse 25 of John 6, we pick up the story with the crowd who had seen the miracle. 
In the night, the disciples and Jesus had traveled across the lake and were now in the village of Capernaum. Now, let me read that as we begin today. It says, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. See, Jesus discerned immediately that the reason they sought him out again was because he fed them. By the way, we shouldn't think it strange for the crowd to be coming to Jesus for selfish reasons. This is a very human thing. There are a great many people who follow Jesus or claim to follow him who have done the same. But Jesus said in Matthew 7 and 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So, Jesus is speaking to these people of spiritual things, but they can't get their minds off the bread. Now in verses 30, 31, we read, So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. In other words, prove it to us. Give us what we want so that we can believe in you. That's what the people were asking Jesus. And Jesus again refocuses their attention on the main point. In verses 32 and 33, we read that Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven. It is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. By the way, Jesus is speaking in the synagogue here in Capernaum. He's giving a spiritual message to the people, but they just can't get their minds off the bread. It was like they were fixated on it. And in verse 34, they said, Sir, always give us this bread. Keep feeding us. Do another miracle. Give us a demonstration of your power. We want to be entertained. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, this is a phenomenal statement. First, by equating himself with bread, Jesus is saying he is essential for life. See, bread was the main course in almost every meal in those days. It was the staple food. Every meal included bread. It makes you feel full. That's why they want you to eat rolls at a buffet. 
you need it to feel full. And that's what Jesus said of himself. He said, you need me to feel full. Now, a Japanese Christian explained it this way. In Japan, rice is their bread. She said it's like they have two stomachs, one for meat, fish, vegetables, or other things, and one for rice. No matter what else they have in a meal, if they don't have rice, they're left wanting. See, without Jesus in our lives, we are left wanting. He is essential. Second, the life Jesus is referring to is not physical life, but eternal life. Jesus is trying to get the Jews thinking off of the physical realm and into the spiritual realm. He is contrasting what he brings as their Messiah with the bread he miraculously created the day before. That was physical bread that perishes. He is spiritual bread that brings eternal life. See, we live in a physical world, but we are spiritual beings. Now, I think we all have a sense of that deep down inside of us. Many years ago, a young man who had broken his Christian mother's heart by living a debauched life with wild women and drunken parties eventually came back to Christianity. And he wrote this to God, you have made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. That was the man we now know as St. Augustine, way back in the fourth century. He became one of the greatest minds in the history of the church. Another one, Pascal, the brilliant mathematician and philosopher, stated that there was a God-shaped void in each of us that only God could fill. See, Jesus here is claiming that place. Now, third and very important, Jesus is making another claim to deity. This statement is the first of the I am statements in John's gospel. The phrase I am is the covenant name of God, Yahweh or Jehovah, revealed to Moses at the burning bush in Exodus. And the phrase literally means, I am who I am. In other words, Jesus is claiming to be the one who needs no one else to exist. It's also a phrase that the Jews who were listening would have automatically understood as a claim to be God. Now, fourth, notice the words come and believe. This is an invitation for those listening to place their faith in Jesus as the Messiah and the Son of God. This invitation to come is found throughout John's gospel. Coming to Jesus involves making a choice to forsake the world and follow him. And believing in Jesus means placing our faith in him, that he is who he is, that what he will do what he says he will do, and that he is the only one who can. And finally, there are the words hunger and thirst. And again, it must be noted that Jesus isn't talking about alleviating physical hunger and thirst. The key is found in another statement that Jesus made back in his Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5 and 6, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. When Jesus says those who come to him will never hunger, and those who believe in him will never thirst, he's saying he will satisfy our hunger and thirst to be made righteous in the sight of God. He will do for us what no one else will do for us. See, some people wonder why Jesus didn't alleviate all poverty, all sickness, all hunger, all slavery. Some wonder why he didn't overthrow Rome himself and free his people. Well, Jesus came to do what no one else could do. He came to save us from our sins. He came to reconcile us back to the Father. He came to give us eternal life. He came to die on the cross so that we could live. See, if you read the remainder of this chapter, you will see that not only did much of the crowd reject what Jesus had to say, it also tells us that many of Jesus' followers stopped following him. 
Jesus had begun now to talk about his death. His body would be broken as a sacrifice for our sins. His blood would be spilled for our pardon. Talk of suffering and death did not go over well with those who wanted free food. It wasn't only about that, though. In verse 28, it says, Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? And in the next verse, Jesus said that the work was to believe. Here's the thing about the Pharisees, the most influential group of religious people in Jesus' day. They really, really liked rules. They liked them so much, they made rules to help obey other rules. Most religious groups have a contingent like this. We call them legalists. They're the ones who want to post the rules and hold everyone else accountable to their interpretation of those rules. They like to measure themselves by how well they do, and especially how they do in comparison to others. It makes them feel superior. But Jesus was introducing a concept here that is carried throughout the New Testament. It's called grace. Grace has been defined as unmerited favor. In other words, it's unearned. We don't do anything to deserve grace. We don't read 30 chapters of the Bible a day or say 20 Hail Marys. We don't help 10 people across the street or give 20% of our money to charity to earn grace. You can't earn grace. You just can't. As Tim Keller said, if you want God's grace, all you need is need. All you need is nothing. A lot of people have a real hard time with Christianity for just this reason. See, successful people who've worked long and hard to obtain their place in society and their nice house and their big office and their imported cars simply don't want to believe that God would just give them a place in heaven. These are the type of people who would choose religion over biblical Christianity. There's a difference. You see, religion is spelled D-O. That's the question these people were asking. What must I do to please God? How often do I need to show up for worship? How much do I need to give? What's the dress code? Well, that's religion because we're trying to earn our way. But biblical Christianity is different. It's spelled D-O-N-E. It's done. Jesus here was pointing to the work that he would accomplish on the cross. As he gave his last breath, nailed between two thieves, he declared, it is finished. Now what? Believe. Grace is such good news for each and every one of us. Jerry Bridges said, your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. Your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. In John 3.16, Jesus declared, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God gave, Jesus gave. Now come to him and believe. Max Lucado said, bread of life? Well, Jesus lived up to that claim. But an unopened loaf does a person no good. Have you received the bread? Have you received God's forgiveness? Now, just before Jesus went to the cross, he sat down with the disciples for one last meal. He took the bread in his hands and offered a prayer of thanks to God the Father. He then took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Now, he would very shortly thereafter give his life and offer his body as a sacrifice for each of us. He is the bread that gives life, eternal life. When Jesus says, come to me, He doesn't say come to a religion, come to a system, or come to a certain doctrine. This is a very personal invitation to a God, an invitation to a Savior, 
I invite you, if you would, to pray with me. Dear Jesus, in a world of spiritual hunger, you are the bread of life. You extend the invitation to all who are in need of that which will satisfy their soul. You are what we need. So we come with open hands and open hearts. For those in need of a savior, forgive us our sins. Restore us to a relationship with the God who created us. Thank you for adopting us into your family, the family of God, amen. Now we have gathered to worship the God who is. Now go with the assurance of salvation that Jesus Christ provides. Know that he is and that he is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for watching.